electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on our podcast, Mohammed Al-Aryan on the economy's newest normal. People are suffering. There is real pain in the street. The best you can do right now is protect and contain the damage. You can't erase it overnight. Hedge fund manager Kyle Bass says it's time to shut the stock markets down. We all know we're going to get to the other side of this. The problem is every single day we're going to see worse and worse news. Uh, until we hit peak infection. And President Trump's, quote, game-changing drug cocktail for coronavirus. Does the scientific community agree? It's Monday, March 23rd, 2020. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to CNBC's breaking coverage of the coronavirus, what's happening around the world, what's happening in the markets right now, too. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Joe is at the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. Andrew and I are not. We've been watching the USA. First up today on the pod, a massive funding package to combat the impact of coronavirus on the economy stalled in the Senate over the weekend. As of our airtime early this morning, the details of a revised deal are still in the works. And the Fed is still working on using its tools to shore up the U.S. economy, lending money to keep things moving. One regional Federal Reserve Bank president, James Bullard of St. Louis, offered a gloomy prediction, the possibility of 30 percent unemployment in the U.S. in the months ahead. That is worse than during the Great Depression and three times the highest unemployment rate of the 2008-2009 recession. We turn to Squawk Regular, Mohamed El Arian, Chief Economic Advisor for Allianz, and the man who coined the term the new normal back in that Great Recession for analysis on the market, when the workings of our economy can resume, and how many will be left without jobs when that day comes. Joining us on the CNBC Newsline, uh, Mohamed El Arian, Chief Economic Advisor at Allianz. Um, we haven't spoken to you in a while. Mohammed, because there was a weekend. Um, they, what, we're, uh, <laughs> what, what do you got for us uh, this morning? I, I, I put out a picture of Times Square, and I, 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 just, I was going to put new normal or new abnormal, but I decided just not even to, uh, to call it anything. But it's, it's very quiet, too quiet. But what, what, what came into your mind over the weekend in terms of you've got to be some new things? You bullish, bearish, feeling better, positive, negative what? First, good morning, Joe, and thanks for having me. Look, um, overall, the, the market call is a little bit more nuanced. Um, it's not as urgent warning about a major correction as it has been, but for most investors, I think you still want to be cautious out there. But there's two areas I think we're not focusing on enough, if I may, Joe. One is those people who entered this defensively and have a massive appetite for volatility, they're starting to be real pockets of value, and they should be looking at that. On the other side, those who are still holding on to corporate credits with really weak balance sheets and don't want to sell because their prices have plunged, remember one thing. The earnings picture is being absorbed. The next round is the balance sheet picture, and the faults are really destructive of value. 
And if you're still in these very low-rated companies with no cash, debt maturing, you're betting on bailouts. And you're betting on generous bailouts. Understand what you're betting on, because this is a very tough environment, not just for earnings, but for balance sheets. Hey, Mohammed. I just wanted to get your thoughts on James Bullard's call over the weekend that we could see unemployment of, of up to 30 percent in this country, which I was just in shock when I, I saw the number. I know the Treasury Secretary's talked about 20 percent, and that unto itself is shocking. I think some people thought that might be a tactic to try to get Congress to move on this. But how do you see this playing out just 12 months out, assuming and maybe it's the right or wrong assumption that in two or three months from now, we have some form of resumption of our economy Maybe people are wearing masks. Maybe other people are, are being self-quarantined or at higher risk. But assuming something like that happens, what do you still think it looks like? So first on what St. Louis Fed President Bullard said, he said 30 percent unemployment, 50 percent hit of GDP in the second quarter. Um, I think the 50 percent hit in GDP is something people should think about. I know that when I look around I see the best business, you know, forget grocery stores, but the best business, the restaurants that were able to, to convert to a to-go window, operating at best at a third. So, so this is a massive GDP hit. And that's why I've been stressing, be careful of the economics of sudden stop. They really are destructive. So I think, you know, that we will go beyond 10% on the unemployment rate, which was the, the peak of 08, 09. That's going to happen, unfortunately. And that's not going to be the whole bad story about the economy. There's going to be a lot of income destruction as well that from people who are not unemployed. So I think Bullard's message is a very clear one, which is get ready for some horrible numbers, historic numbers. When we bounce back, Andrew, which we will, this, we, will go, we are going to power through this. It's not going to be easy. We're going to power through this. Again, it's about the journey, not the destination. When we bounce back, we will reemerge, and the markets will bounce in a big way, but we are going to reemerge to a different landscape, and we have to realize this. In terms of markets, you already talked about the different landscape for interest rate risk. It will also be a different landscape for liquidity risk, for equity risk, and for credit risk. So th- th- as soon as investors are able to manage through this period, and I, and I put, put a, an article on this over the weekend, they're going to have to think about what the new landscape looks like. You know, it will be but, to make sure happy a new, new normal. Mohammed, but help, help us here. If we are – the stock market is back to 2016 levels right now. If you're talking about a world in which we have unemployment that looks like we are in 2010 and we're having this revaluation, if you will, of treasuries and everything else, should we think that, that the market is going to have a massive bounce back? So the, the, certain segments of the market are, are going to have a bounce back, yes. And, and this is an individual story. I'm sitting here looking at companies whose business, ironically, is going to benefit in the, in the post-crisis world, who have very strong balance sheets, who have a ton of cash. So for them, neither the journey nor the destination are crippling. And they've been hit very hard because they're part of the neighborhood. The president tweeting on Saturday morning about a combination of drugs that he said have a real chance to be one of the biggest game changers in the history of medicine. I want to get over to Meg Terrell right now, who joins us with more on the combination and the data behind it. Meg. 
Well, good morning, Andrew. So it's a combination of two existing drugs. Uh, one is hydroxychloroquine. The other one is azithromycin. And in that tweet, uh, President Trump really kicking off kind of a debate uh, in the medical world, as you said, saying this has a real chance to be one of the biggest game changers in the history of medicine. So what are these drugs? Well, hydroxychloroquine uh, is approved to, to treat malaria and some other autoimmune diseases like rheumatoid arthritis and, um, and lupus and azithromycin is an existing antibiotic. And what the president was referring to is this small study run in France uh, in COVID-19 patients. It was only 36 patients, 20 of whom were on treatment. Those who took hydroxychloroquine alone uh, saw at day six, 57% of them were had cleared the virus from their blood compared with the control group, which didn't get that treatment of only 12% of patients. Then when they looked at the combination with the antibiotic, which was given to prevent secondary infections, 100% were cured at day six. Now, there are major caveats with this study. The small size, that combination was only given to six patients. Also, concerns about cardiotoxicity, so safety issues for the heart in particular uh, of this combination. Still, many saying this is potentially promising and it needs to be tested more rigorously and on a larger scale. So New York is starting to do this. Governor Cuomo saying the FDA is shipping 10,000 doses of that combination for a trial to start on Tuesday. The WHO is also starting a trial of multiple drugs, including this one. Uh, and there are many trials going on around the world, including at the University of Minnesota on hydroxychloroquine. However, doctors are already starting to use these drugs to treat COVID-19, and we are seeing a massive spike uh, in prescriptions, which means, according to Premier, you're seeing this data here in the demand, uh, patients who need these drugs for other things like lupus and rheumatoid arthritis aren't able to get them right now. Uh, and many are also concerned of the use before true clinical trials have proven that they work. But hopefully we'll get this data pretty soon, guys. Back over to you. It, it, it's not the first time we've, we've had off-patient or uh, off-patent uh, prescriptions. That, we see that. Yeah, off-label. Uh, yeah, exactly. We've seen that over and over and over again. So, I, I mean, I understand the, I mean, the unintended consequence. I, I, I understand as well with lupus and other uh, diseases, Meg. But the anecdotal evidence, maybe we're hearing just the positive anecdotal evidence, but it, it does look pretty promising. I, I know you saw Dr. Fauci uh, after, you know, th they tried to start a, a, a pretty big controversy that, that he was sort of um, in, in stark contrast uh, to what President Trump was saying. And he basically said, we're, we're on the same page. He's just a layman who, who wants to give hope. And I'm a scientist and a doctor that just wants to do it the right way through clinical trials, et cetera. But the side effect profile is already pretty well known. So to do it off-label uh, for compassionate use for people that are really, really sick, if, if it's available, if we can make more, it seems like there's some merit to that. Do you agree with that? Well, certainly we're in a situation that's unprecedented and people are trying anything they can. Hopefully the clinical trial results can come quickly uh, so that we will have better data to make these decisions. Yeah. There are other drugs that doctors can consider using as well. Right. Um, so we need all of that data. You can do the clinical Gilead trial. Of your data in a couple weeks. You can do the clinical trial with the ten thousand k. You know, with the ten thousand doses that Cuomo uh, ordered for. That can be part of it. That could be an in-process clinical trial, right? Well, that's what it is. They say they plan right. to start the trial in New York tomorrow. Okay. Um, so. And also, companies are really ramping up production of this, but right now there is a squeeze in the system. Okay. So, hey, Meg, can you just explain one thing to us? Because this is the thing that I've been trying to understand, and, and I've, been, I've been 
asking and talking about this specific drug now for the past two weeks with Scott Gottlieb. You know, when the president sends out this tweet and then there becomes this commotion about uh, whether he is actually uh, doing the right thing by the public and you have the science community effectively trying to push back on him, is it because they don't feel that there is enough science behind it and that there are worries about what he's doing or, 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 or giving people false hope? Or, or, or is it that they don't believe the drug works? The reason I asked is I've been asking Scott Gottlieb about this drug now for a week or two. And every time he comes on, he is skeptical, if not dismissive of it. Yeah, I don't get the sense he's 100 percent dismissive of it. Um, I think that people think there is potentially promise here. But I think what you outlined uh, at the beginning, that the science hasn't proven it works yet. That is what the scientific community thinks right now. They just want more evidence. And the way the scientific community counts evidence is through randomized clinical trials. Um, so the way Dr. Fauci was explaining it as anecdotal data, that's what we've seen so far. And we need more rigorous trials to really know. Last week was the worst week ever for the real estate market, down 23% from Monday to Friday. And that's bad enough for an area like New York City. Then you have the governor, Andrew Cuomo, telling businesses that are non-essential they have to shutter their doors, that residents have to stay home to make sure that we are fighting off the coronavirus. You wonder what that starts to mean for the real estate market. Joining us right now to talk more about that is Richard LaFrac. He is the chairman and CEO of the LaFrac organization. That is one of the largest landlords in the tri-state area. And Richard, thanks for joining us this morning. Nice talking to you, Becky. Thanks for having me on. So we are watching some pretty unprecedented times play out uh, in the streets of New York City, where you're watching Times Square being empty at this point. What's it meant for your business to this point to see businesses shuttered? Well, uh, first of all, the most uh, interesting thing is that many of my businesses are not shuttered because I, I own uh, uh, thousands of apartment units in New York, and uh, those units still require uh, building service employees to come and clean and maintain the buildings and provide services to the tenants. So that uh, requires us to make sure that our employees are safe, have proper equipment, and uh, uh, can uh, reassure the tenants that the buildings will function because these buildings are getting actually more intense use now as all the tenants are staying home all the time. All the tenants staying home all the time is not necessarily great news for what it's going to mean when mortgage payments are due or when rent payments are due at the end of the month. Um, what happens? Are you going to be giving people an extension of time to pay things back? Are you going to be forgiving any of these things, either for your commercial or your residential areas? Well, I think that we, we, we as an industry, decided that for people that uh, are stressed by the financially stressed by the current situation, that we would forbear uh, evictions or uh, demands for rent until the, uh, you know, for the next 90 days, at least until this uh, situation resolves. But of course, there are very severe implications about this happening over a long period of time because uh, we also have obligations to pay like mortgage, like real estate taxes, like utilities, like paying our building service employees, paying insurance. And uh, most landlords don't, do not have the wherewithal to hang on for more than a couple of months uh, of uh, no income or no revenue. So we're hoping that the people who can pay will pay and the people that can't pay will give a, uh, some, uh, some forbearance for the time being. What do you make of the idea of a, a rent or mortgage holiday? That's one of the things that people have talked about and whether you could ultimately be supported longer term later. But if you did that for two months, oh, 
what it would do for the country? Well, we, we did we did suggest that we would, uh, uh, you know, that the, some of the major landlords would be uh, supportive of those in need having a rent holiday for a couple of months. How, but, uh, you know, you're in a better position. Do you think that all landlords could actually uh, get get through that period? No, I, I'm saying, you know, there's a couple of large landlords that have the resources that can handle that for a couple of months. But the mom and pop owners or the small owners, they're not going to be able to survive. The margins in the real estate business are not that great that they can survive for a month or two. It's a business generally with very high expenses. And so uh, uh, I would say I would not be supportive of general don't pay the rent. Everybody don't pay your rent and everybody uh, don't pay your mortgage. I mean, it's kind of a, a difficult problem for the banking industry at that point. All right, Richard. Uh, thanks. And thank you. We haven't uh, heard from you in a while. We appreciate it. Good to, good to hear your nice voice. talking to all of you. Coming up on Squawk Pod, hedge fund manager Kyle Bass wants to close the U.S. stock markets due to the coronavirus crisis. He says the impact of this outbreak will extend far beyond this market cycle. It's important to note that this will change the way uh, that people think about investing going forward for generations to come. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod from CNBC. The markets continue to look for stability as coronavirus cases grow well into the hundreds of thousands around the world, with New York cases in particular surging. This is why Heyman Capital Management's Kyle Bass says it's time to shut the markets down, turn off the exchanges for as long as it takes to protect the economic security of the country. For a little background, Kyle Bass is a hedge fund manager familiar with crises. He bet against subprime mortgages more than a decade ago before the burst bubble of the U.S. housing market in late 2007. Here's Kyle Bass today on Squawk Box with Andrew Ross Sorkin and Joe Kernan. Let's just look at this from the perspective of U.S. You know, financial security, which, which then moves into national security issues. You have uh, $25 trillion of global market caps been lost. Uh, we're going to end up printing, I think we're going to end up expanding the Fed's balance sheet five or six trillion dollars. You have a $23 trillion economy that's going to be off for at least two or three months. Um, and you think about the way that generational wealth is lost. We have the boomers approach, approaching retirement, many of which I've talked to over the last few months. Uh, last few weeks, sorry. And, um, you know, you have decisions being made out of fear. And I realize it, America is the greatest market to invest in. I've said that before. There is no better place to put your money. There's no better place to invest and or work. But when you look back to special events around the world where the market has closed before, as we entered into World War One, we closed the markets for four months. You know, uh, in, in 1987, there was no halt. Uh, you know, in 97, we had circuit breakers. Uh, and 9-11, the market was closed for a week. Um, but when you look at what's going on, Andrew, we all know we're going to get to the other side of this. The problem is, 
every single day we're going to see worse and worse news uh, until we hit peak infection. And if you, you just look at these curves, I don't know when that is. It's going to be sometime in late May. Kyle, but are, are you arguing how, how long would you close the markets for? Clearly, there becomes a liquidity issue. And by the way, yes, we will get over it. I think there's no question that we will get to the other side and we have to be optimistic and hopeful that we do. And if we don't, boy, uh, I don't even know what that looks like. But if when we do, what that even looks like, I think is still up for grabs, I hate to say. And therefore, where the market is, uh, is still a very open question. No? Now, look, I'm a free market capitalist. This is antithetical to my being to be saying to close the markets. But uh, what I'm trying to say is... uh, Just think about the pros and the cons. Get out a blank piece of paper and say, if things worsen, if our our government believes that somewhere around the the end of the first week of April that our ERs and ICUs will be overrun, and then we'll be making decisions, hopefully not as bad, but the decisions like Italy's having to make as to who's living and who's dying, people's fears are going to be uh, really challenged over the next few weeks, where you and I both know, if I told you that we finally reached peak and Infection, whenever that is, a month, a month and a half from now, uh, and then we'll reopen the market when we see the light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, I think that saves a dip of maybe another 40%. And I, I'm trying to think about those boomers, those people that will make emotional decisions down another 40%. That's how a market clears. That's how a market makes a bottom and it discounts. It, it will know long before us that maybe the the peak of, of the infection rate that you're talking about may not be nearly as bad as, 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 what, you're, as what you're seeing. I can't imagine uh, that you, that I think you believe that investors aren't smart enough to look past this and they're, they're going to be so scared by the, the daily news that they are, you know, that, that we need to somehow protect them from themselves when in fact you know, the, the nature of the market, and I know you know this, but the nature of the market is that it's going to take into account a lot of the, uh, the, the horrific news. And if it deserves to clear at those much lower levels, let it clear. Otherwise, the bounce isn't even real. I think all of us professional investors would, would agree with that statement, Joe. I think it's, it's important to note that the average American isn't a professional investor. And I think about the generational wealth that's been lost. Think about the manner in which those that grew up with parents and parents of parents that went through the Great Depression of 29, it changed, it changed the proclivities, it changed the operating nature of the manner in which people operated their lives. That's going to happen as a result of this uh, calamity with the, with the uh, Wuhan virus. I think it's important to note that this will change the way uh, that people think about investing going forward for generations to come. This isn't just going to snap back and everyone's going to be fine and we're going to be stronger. This is going to have enormous implications for, for the way that average American investors think. And my point is, is that we've lost so much generational wealth already at a point in time in which many retirees, our parents or my parents, are, you know, uh, would be retiring. My parents are gone, but the baby boomers um, are, are going to have a, a hard time with this. Thank you so much for calling in and we'll talk to you very, very soon. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text or chat. 
988 for free confidential support anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. And that's Squawk Pod for today. Thank you for listening. We are continuing to work hard to bring you this podcast each day. The best of our three-hour morning show on CNBC, Squawk Box, hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin weekdays at 6 a.m. Please tweet us any thoughts or suggestions at Squawk CNBC. Rate the podcast or leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and stay safe. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. If a friend asks how you're doing and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel.